Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. New shows every day. Find us at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. Hockey fans, if you'd like a copy of my new book, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore, head on over to flankerpress.com. If you'd like a personalized copy for $25 plus shipping, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. That's terryryan2020 at gmail.com. The third round is in full swing and the action increases from game to game. This is where the contenders are separated from the pretenders. To give you some skin in the game, DraftKings will be offering free-to-play pools every day of the basketball playoffs, offering players a free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes. That's up to $10,000 in total prizes up for grab each day. The best part? It's free-to-play. DraftKings free-to-play pools are easy to enter. Just download the DraftKings app, go to pools, and choose from a wide variety of free contests for an opportunity to win cash prizes. Download the top-rated DraftKings app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to get your free shot at up to $10,000 in total prizes every day of the basketball playoffs. Head to DraftKings pool page to get your free shot at huge cash prizes. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all shapes and sizes and colors, animals, fish, mammals, what have you, amphibians, welcome to Tales with TR. This is episode 57, featuring my old friend and ball hockey legend, I don't know if there's any bigger, 
George Gortzos. Now, George has been waiting for a half hour uh, because I went way overdue. I, I, I lost my microphone. So last weekend, I was recording a show. Stay tuned, by the way. Um, I'm doing a show coming up. I'm not going to explain everything, what it's all about, but locals, you know, Leon Parsons with Donnie Dumphy. I guess not just locals, Donnie was the star, Donnie's the character, in How to Be Deadly. A real funny uh, movie shot and produced here in Newfoundland uh, a few years back. It's, it's really funny, though. I give you, uh, there's so many layers to it. But, but anyway, Donnie's like a local character. Um, you know, like Snook or something before him. You know, Leon is a local. Everybody knows him, but he steps outside and he, he's created this Donnie Dumphy character. So I'm not going to say what it's about, but I'm going to um, I'm doing it with him and I'm, I'm going to play Barry Ryan, Terry's dim-witted cousin. Uh, anyway, we needed some microphones for the set that we were using and uh, I left mine out there. So I got back here today an hour ago. And of course, we were out by Signal Hill. So I had to go. Actually, it was downtown, but whatever. So I had a long way to go. So, yeah, I had to go out and get that. George has been waiting for a half hour, so I don't have much of a preamble. He just went for a walk in Toronto. I'm about to call him now, but I will I will say this. Um, a lot of you listening probably don't know about the ball hockey world. It's, it's more and more prominent now as years go on, and, and not in least uh, reasons of which involve George Gortzos, my next guest. I guess today, uh, who was a legend. He's in the Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. Started playing in the 80s and, um, and in the 90s, the World Championship started in 1996. George played that one, was the top defenseman. And then he started uh, coaching Canada and scouting. And now he's the president of the uh, the International Street and Ball Hockey Federation. Now, this is not what you think. When, often when I say I play ball hockey and people say, oh, yeah, you know, I played last night out in the back of my house. And I, I, all well and good, all well and good. And in fact, there's so much going of that going on that George's job more than anything in, that I've seen in the last 20 years is to get people involved, people that are playing to get them organized because there is a Canadian ball hockey association. Now here in Newfoundland, people are pretty familiar with it because we've always, I, I've gone like paid $5 to go in and watch ball hockey since I'm a kid. Um, I think back then it was $2, whatever, but you know, it's, there's leagues here and they're, it's something to do in the summertime whenever the provincials come around, you know, for the most part, it's close to full, if not full, you know, people watching, I mean, local little arenas, I'm not talking mile one center, but uh, we have the national championships teams love coming here because um, we get lots of fans, right? People really support it. When we won the nationals here, 2010 Newfoundland last one before that in 1980s, uh, and, you know, the team I played on, we had myself, Teddy Purcell, who was playing in the NHL at the time. Adam Party was playing in the NHL at the time. A um, bunch of other pros like Justin Pender, Brandon Roach, Andrew Sweetland at the time, Patty O'Keefe. They were all playing pro hockey. And we didn't slice through. Um, George used to play for a team called Fairview Rangers. And they were a bit before my time. But in my time, the Montreal Red Light, the Toronto Midnight Express, these teams are, you know, multiple national championships. And we actually had to beat the Red Light and the Toronto Midnight Express uh, in the semis and the finals, respectively, in 2010. And we did it. But I mean, one of the greatest moments of my hockey, my sports career. I mean that. Uh, I'll never forget. It was at Jack Byrne Arena and the place. I mean, how would you forget? The place was packed. 
And in the last minute, I believe we're up by two. Um, they, they sang the Ode to Newfoundland. It brought a tear to my eye on the bench. One of the best feelings I've ever had. And I started George really George and a guy named Tony Inito. Tony ran a team in Montreal called the Black Knights. And they were like the, the arch rival of the Montreal Red Light. The Red Light are arguably the best team ever in the uh, 2000 to 2010 era, I think, and, and change. They won eight or nine. I could be, it's probably more than that, but they, I think they won eight in a row. In any case, when I've ever I've gone, I've gone to the nationals with the Montreal Black Knights. I played um, the better part of a decade, the 2000s with them. And then since I've been playing with the Newfoundland Black Horse. Now I also play for Team Canada. That's picked from the nationals, right? And we always have good representation here from, Mont uh, from Newfoundland. Um, we have five or six players on it every year now. When I started, I was the only one. So there's so many layers to this conversation because, A, when I started, I knew there was all, all kinds of other great players here and made it kind of a mission of mine to get them involved. Like George says, you know, you got to get these people. There's all kinds of great street hockey players. You got to get them registered playing ball hockey. And it, it takes place in a hockey arena. For those that don't know, um, very similar rules, but they call it a floating blue line. So same as offsides rule, but once you get in over the blue line, then all of a sudden the offensive zone becomes half the rink and you can take it back to the red line, right? And the ball, the ball can curve a lot more than a puck. Well, at all. I mean, puck doesn't really curve, but the ball really, really, you, you get some great players, uh, Chicky Mentis, Paul Roy, great defensemen over the years, um, Justin Pender, Patty O'Keefe. The boys can, can really, you know, the ball changes direction like a good, curveball um, from an MLB pitcher, right? The best ball hockey players in the world. Justin Pender, good Newfoundlander. He is um, pro, played pro many years. Justin's about 6'4", 220 when he played pro, and he was letting that shot go back there, and it's over 100 miles an hour. I think he got clocked at the Worlds at 109. Uh, so, you know, that's, it's not easy to stop. So there's a real strategy in any way. Um, I could go on and on, right? I'm trying to just give you the, the bones of the story here. So in 2001, Tony um, Inito, okay, who I just mentioned earlier, he's with the Black Knights. And um, there's a real, there's a crazy story behind that, but I don't have all day. Um, he invited me to play. And, you know, and, then, and I, when I started to play on the national level, uh, you know, I was pretty good. But I, that first year, George called me and asked me to be on the uh, Team Canada. And I, I just retired from hockey because I busted my ankle. I was really upset. But when I ran, it felt pretty good. So anyway, he picked me. I went over there and by no means was I the best. I, the best I was actually, George will tell you now, he was picking me for future years. So in 2003, you know, I filled a role. I was on the fourth, fifth line or whatever. You can dress five lines, by the way, because, uh, oh, it gets crazy out there with the uh, heat and exhaustion, the water you're running on Olympic-sized surfaces. Uh, yeah, it gets crazy. But um, anyway, yeah, so I got involved. I remember the championship game in 2003 in uh, Sierre, Switzerland. We beat the Czech Republic, and I only had one or two shifts all game. What One that I remember. I think I had like two because I had two in the last two minutes when we went up three to one. But uh, I love being there, man. I love winning the Worlds. And then George stuck with me, and I, from that point on, I became a ball hockey player, for lack of a better way to put it. I still play ice hockey and senior and all that, but... 
Uh, this year I was scheduled again to go. Now I play for the Masters team. I played on the Team Canada proper um, up until I was 40, I guess, 39, was it? And uh, now there's a Masters League, which is, re- which is real good. And uh, there's a Masters Worlds. And at first I was skeptical. I'm like, yeah, you know, these guys over 35 years old, all over there, you know, guys are going to be there with beer guts and not giving a shit. But not at all what I expected. We actually went down the Worlds in 2018. We're in Bermuda. George, like I said, now is the International Street and Ball Hockey Federation president. He had a big lot to do with that, putting it in Bermuda. And it's a great spot too, right? Because people are going to come watch it. Usually the problem when you have the Masters and you have the regular going on and the women's at the same time, people are going to go watch, uh, you know, the younger players in their prime, of course. But when you have the Masters on its own in a place that's, you know, it's a bit of a novelty like Bermuda. And Bermuda since has had a, you know, great ball hockey program. Anyway, I'll let him get into all that. But George was the one, and, and Tony, I guess two of them, Tony was the GM. He was the coach of the Montreal Black Knights, but he was the GM of Team Canada, and George was the coach. And they both convinced me to play almost two decades ago. And it's I, I just can't imagine my life without it. At this point, I've gotten I had a, a national championship in 2008 with Montreal. I've got a national championship 2010 with, with Newfoundland. Real proud of that, bringing it back here. And um, if you can believe it, between 2010 and 2020, we lost to the Montreal red light, most of them, but we lost six times in the final six silver. Sorry, five, whatever, five silver. Um, and, and, and more, but they were before 2010. I lost to the red light four or five times as a black knight, three in the final. Uh, so that tells you how big of a juggernaut they are. Alexander Burroughs. People know that name, ice hockey legend. Well, he was, he's arguably the best player to play, you know, my 2003 year. He was in the East Coast Hockey League and he went over and he was the MVP at the Worlds and the top scorer, I believe, I believe. But anyway, a total legend. And uh, anyway, those guys changed my life by getting me involved. And uh, once I saw that I could compete on a world level, I just started training as hard as I could. Anyway, George will tell you the story. I'm going to have him on here now because he's been waiting. And uh, yeah, I had a few other things to talk about with the playoffs and everything else and some interesting things happening at this exciting time. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's spring. The pandemic's coming to a close and uh, love the Habs game the other night. I really did, even though they lost. I fell asleep after the first, but I thought they came out as good as they could have given the uh, crazy crowd. And uh, I'd love to get into that after the George interview. Anyway, George Gortzos, one of the most interesting men in the world, uh, coming up. Ladies and gentlemen, my next guest has years of experience playing and coaching both ice hockey and ball hockey, but in the 1980s and 90s established himself as one of the very best ball hockey players in the history of the game, both nationally and internationally. He has five national ball hockey titles to his credit and captain Team Canada to the inaugural World Championship of Ball Hockey title in 1996 in Bratislava, Slovakia, taking home top defenseman honors in the process. After his playing career, this legend guided Canada to four straight world championships and retired from coaching with an incredible 43-3 and record. The man is affectionately called coach, has been the president of the ISBHF since 2009 and is one of the major reasons I started my career with Team Canada almost two decades ago. He is a proud player, a dashing defenseman, a charismatic Canadian, a fine friend, a passionate pal, a cool coach, a great guy, 
a ball hockey buddy. He likes to deke, and they call him the Greek. He has a great approach to the role of coach. One of the best of them all and at hockey with a ball. I like to make rhymes, and we had some really good times. He lit the lamp and made me a champ. Our time was bliss in the land of the Swiss. He can pass and shoot, and at the bar, he's a hoot. He's one of the best ever in the game and is now in the Hall of Fame. If you're in St. John's, you're on the Port Coast. Ladies and gentlemen, my buddy, George Gortzos. George, how you doing? That's awesome, world champ. Awesome. Usually uh, you follow me out in the dressing rooms in uh, Pilsen in Switzerland <laughs> and, and around the world. So uh, that's awesome. Thank you, TR. <laughs> when George says... Uh, that I follow him, we always had a thing where George would come in and pump the team up. There's actually one of these out on YouTube, and it's a great little insight into what goes on, not only in a, in a hockey dressing room, but a sports dressing room. Uh, and so many people have commented to George, but George would come in and fire us up with some sort of speech that only he could. Still say one of the best motivators I've ever, if not the best that I've ever played for. And, uh, and then I would get up and I do kind of a bit of a comic relief to, because George would leave you. You wanted to go out and eat the boards. And then I'd just get everybody involved, like whether it was announcing the starting lineup, usually over a Hockey Night in Canada theme. And we'd all our, our pregame ritual was almost 15 minutes long, but it was it was certainly a blast. Those are great memories, George. Oh, they certainly are. And Terry, you know. I'm so proud to be talking to you and you do such a great job. You've had some unbelievable people on, but for me to be talking to you uh, in my journey in hockey, starting up here in the North of Toronto at the boundary and getting to see the world and how, uh, you know, Newfoundland and your father and the kids around this neighborhood influenced me and how I feel ball hockey is the vitamin for the sport of hockey because i i am passionately know it i i was a greek boy who uh was grown up on soccer but hockey getting a stick in my hand got me on this journey and i hope that's why i'm still involved i want kids to experience that journey um george if nothing else your your journey has so many layers to it so I didn't really know where to start with this. And I like how you, you know, one of the biggest things that I stands out, you know, if people were to describe you, for me, it's passion, passion for just life and, and being Canadian. And, and but, but the passion for ball hockey has taken that, you know, that's really helped take our game to, to, to such a high level in just the time I've been playing. I just can't believe the improvements, the, 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 the enrollment all over the world, um, the tournaments that we've had. So I, I like how you started there, but I'm going to rewind because I'm interested in the origin story. I've known you a long time, real good friend. I don't know that two months go by that we don't talk in some form, whether it's a text, but I want to know. So where did you grow up? And it was ice hockey first, no? Well, soccer, you just said, but you played ice hockey as well. I did. Uh, I grew up in the uh, uh, northern border of Toronto at that time, Terry. Uh, on the other side of the border was far farmland. So it was almost like the communities that we have out east and, you know, in the prairies and Alberta. So, uh, you know, um, I grew up uh, uh, from a Greek family and soccer was our sport. But the kids around here love hockey. And, uh, you know, in our area, Terry, uh, Steve Shutt grew up. Daryl Evans, I played against Daryl Evans. 
Wow. Scotty Housen, who is now the president of the American Hockey League, grew up on the other side of the border uh, and is the uh, AHL president now and uh, was my uh, teammate when we uh, played in high school ball hockey. Wow. Uh, uh, Brian Denny, who's a scout with the L.A., won national championships with me. Claudio Lesio, Nick Lapone, and of course, some of your friends. Jerry D. grew up here. Phil Zulo. Uh, Joe Pico, one of your favorite trainers. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, Getty and Alex of Rush. What an area this was. I was so lucky that my dad chose to move here. And we actually bought the house from a hockey icon's father, Herbert Carnegie, who's from this area. And what George, a gentleman he was. That's amazing. Tell us how you told me this, and, and it's almost it. it, it it's almost enough to blow you away. Like people don't know. There's look up Herb Carnegie. First of all, it's a legendary hockey name. So, but you didn't know, did you? Or did he just talk to you about it in the early two thousands? Uh, I knew we all knew of Herb, uh, but in 2001, uh, the tournament just before you came on, it was in Toronto in Herb Carnegie arena. And, uh, the uh, organizer said, Herb would like to talk to the coach of Team Canada. So I said, Mr. Carnegie, we all respect you. And, you know, read the book, A Fly on a Pail of Milk. This guy was a star player. Jean Beliveau said it. And Herb goes, oh, thanks, George. And we talked about strategy. He goes, I love the floating blue line of ball hockey. I think it's an amazing concept. And he goes, George. Where'd you grow up? I said, Herb, I grew up in Willowdale at 56 Madawaska. And he stopped and he looked at me. He goes, you're kidding. He goes, that was my dad's home. I go, well, my parents told me that they bought it from a great colored gentleman who gave us a break. And uh, we bought the house. And down in the basement, Terry, it was this slippery kind of tile with a bar. And I would play hockey down there. And I told Herb uh, that his pixie dust led me to the game. And conversely, at that house, Terry, and we'll go from there, I started watching the Hamilton Red Wings, the junior Red Wings. And I was like a big fan of these players on a line. Terry Ryan Sr., Rick Kehoe, Buster Harvey, Mike Weiser. And in 2003, it's almost unbelievable i met you and talked to you the first time in the airport before we went to sierra i knew who you were but i actually talked to you so it's an amazing we're all connected it's an amazing journey that is a, a crazy story i guess i should qualify that earlier well i will now should tell people that herb carnegie for those who don't know it's just such a famous canadian name to me and you know, having Fredericton um, or Willie O'Ree's from Fredericton. So I had this conversation with Willie O'Ree, another colored gentleman that played the game professionally. One of the first, or I think Willie was the first, but Herb Carnegie. And you, you almost, there's a book called A Fly in, the, in a Pail of Milk. George just, uh, and uh, thanks for that. I forgot the name of it. Um, Herb was a phenomenal player, uh, black player, back when there was none in the NHL. And word is, as far as I know, George, I could be wrong, but he, he could have played. He had like way over 100 points. In the oh, yeah. league, and you know he was he was dominant, and you know I guess at a different time, but he he was definitely one of the people credited for breaking the color barrier, even though he never played in the NHL, as far as I know. Um, and what? then my father, when when George says he grew up watching the Hamilton Red Wings, 
my father, I often talk about his career with the Fighting Saints, but a lot of people don't realize he played in Hamilton in the OHA, now the OHL, in the 70s with some uh, against and, and with some great players. And, you know, most people that listen to this know some of that story, at least. But anyway, yeah. So, George, that's really interesting. Not only that you remember <laughs> my dad playing, um, but uh, that it, it ended up coming full circle. So clearly huge hockey influences, huge. So you played the game yourself then, ice hockey, up until when? And when did the transition? Well, well I didn't start playing ice hockey till I was 11. Wow, and I, that eventually led me to where I played in an IHF tournament in Israel representing Greece as a captain. That's another story. Altogether. Oh, wow. Is that yeah. ever? I don't know that story. Tell oh, yeah. I, what happened? Yeah, well, um, there was a guy, and it was the same year that I ended up being captain of Team Canada ball hockey, but there was a guy who was uh, going around Canada looking for players who played ice hockey. Well, I ended up being the captain with the, these young guys that were playing in the NCAA and OHL, Sammy Katsuris, John Sakonikis was at Mercyhurst, three, four guys at UFT. And we ended up going to Israel and we're playing in this wonderful arena called uh, the Canada Centre that the Bronfmans built in Matula. And uh, we ended up winning the tournament. We were pre-qualifying for the 98 Olympics. We ended up winning the final game, uh, I think, 4-1 against Israel. And we were ready to go to Riga. But what happened was, neither, I don't read Greek. And a lot of us uh, wrote down that we played for the Athens Red Wings. I, I signed a paper, didn't know what I was signing. But for the kids playing in the O and in NCAA and in the university, well, they, they got called by uh, international hockey and said, your card's in Canada. And we ended up losing our spot. But it was an amazing journey. And that was a great group of young players. Had we stayed together and added a few more, we would have been a really good hockey team. So it was actually a great experience. And that was just before uh, I went to play for Team Canada in 1996 in Bratislava, which was an unbelievable experience, too paving the way for the girls and guys like yourself in in the 80s when you're playing and you're winning championships now more and more now you know ball hockey's on the map and you know i i said leading up to this you're a big reason for that george i saw you on Sportsnet there just before christmas i think it was maybe after you know and there's all and, and you know having alex burrows come through and have that nhl success there's been a few things that have really help the game take off in the eighties. It was just as big to me locally. Cause I would go, we used to pay a couple bucks to go see the locals, Andy Sullivan. And, uh, Oh God, uh, any locals, my dad, Patty O'Keefe, you know, Oh, um, Dick French. Um, well, I could, I could tell you some of those names, Terry, because that Newfoundland team, the best Western travelers before I won our national championships, they were coached by a guy named Randy Brown. Yeah. And we're talking Andy Sullivan, Shawnee Donovan. What a great captain he was. Glenn Seymour, uh, the late Dickie Power. Gary uh, Wadden. It was Gary yeah, there, wasn't he? That's uh, uh, Frankie Yetman. Fra Frankie Yetman. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, yeah, but yeah. what Randy Brown did is I played on a team called the Midas Topkins. And back then in the 80s, we were playing with three lines and five D. 
Randy Brown went four lines in 6D. And that, like, totally dismantled us with the four check. Uh, there was a line with Bobby Dawson and Frankie Yetman and a bishop. This bishop guy had a serrated edge on his hockey stick. Billy I swear bishop. to God, they'd, uh, yeah. Billy, Billy Bishop. Billy, I used to go. Yeah, he was, me and him hated each other. But I can see that. I, I swear to God, he, he's left scars up. Like these guys were like dogs. Like they were fortunate. And you know, that really laid down, that rang true in my head and said, hey, the Newfoundlanders are a close-knit bunch. We hate their guts, but they're running four lines at us. And they're dismantling us at the forecheck. Well, then with my coach, Danny Rinaldi, we perfected that with the Fernview Rangers and followed that model. And, you know, we, we beat Midnight Express regularly by forechecking them. And then I took that model and uh, we won in 96. And that model is what that Newfoundland Best Western model is what I used when we were on top of the world for almost 10 years. That is just great to hear because like I said, it, it was more closed off than ball hockey. It hadn't, I mean, every year it's an evolution, right? I mean, 20 years from now, I'll say the same thing about now, but, but back then, yeah, but I was aware, I was one of the ones that you know, the kids that used to go and, and watch because a, I'm an only child. I love being around the rink. And my dad used to coach the junior team and he would enter them into the local league. So they'd, be practicing in the summer so you know it took me two games to realize how good all those guys you mentioned were and some did play on best western dick french and a couple more so that was my be you know i grew up looking at those guys kind of kind of idolizing them in a way you know because you know all well, i know is awesome. i'm paying money to go in and watch and they're winning national championships we didn't have a lot of nationals like i often say in newfoundland i've played four different sports at a national level. And usually it's play the host first game, lose eight to one. So everybody gets a free hot dog. And you know, those Newfoundlanders got a lot of fight, but in ball hockey, we have a chance. So that always intrigued me. Um, now, so let's fast forward a little bit. You're, you're going in 1996, the first world championships of ball hockey happened in Bratislava. Yeah. You're, you're on there. You're obviously an important player. You get top defenseman. Something must've happened there. Did you know, did you were you aware then that, OK, after this, I'm going to start passing the torch, so to speak? Uh, no, not really, Terry. I do remember we flowed. We flew into Vienna and you got to remember in 1996, Slovakia was three years out of splitting up with the Czech Republic. So we take a bus from Vienna. We're going to Bratislava and they stopped us at the border and they put us took us out of the. Uh, bus and put us on the fence and frisked us as we were going over the border and uh, I was just going wow this is this is like 1972 and you know that kind of <laughs> like that kind of like spurred us on man and we were on this this uh, kind of old unique uh, hotel and the arena we were at was beautiful it was Zimney Stadium where uh, you know uh, the Stastny brothers played and that where I played George when we were there in 2009, uh, when in 2011, you 11. played in the new one. Okay. I wasn't there for that one, but that's where you, you guys played in the new one. Yeah. I played in the old one. And let me tell you, when we played Slovakia in the semifinals and, and your, your listeners, and you can tell them 
like we were playing in front of eight or 9,000 people and it was an atmosphere. And that's like the Slovaks and the Czechs, they just love ball hockey and it's a passion. And like to be playing in that environment, you know, just spurred us on. And I mean, uh, we ended up being Slovakia and then we played the Czechs in the final and we won and it was an amazing experience. And as you know, TR, once you win and you've, uh, uh, watch when you what you're eating and what you're drinking. You know, we we had a night out and we were flying at seven in the morning the next day. Oh, but yeah. what an experience, euphoric. And to be in that hockey atmosphere, Terry, you felt it. It's unbelievable. I love it. And well, th- here's my situation. So, I mean, all my listeners know for the most part, but I, I, like I said, I always liked ball hockey and I played even locally, I played, but well, you know, when I was with the Habs, you know, they really, well, they discouraged soccer in the summer. So I said, I'm not, I don't even want to ask about ball hockey because I love it, but I just won't play in the nationals. I'll play locally. And cause I, I love it. It emulates, I, I think it really helps you be, if, if, if nothing else, a better defensive player because you can't glide. So I love training that way. And I still do. Well, you know, now I'm a ball hockey player, but you know, so that was my, I get my introduction, like the eighties and nineties I'm playing when I got hurt in the NHL was it actually in Dallas camp when I, people think it was a concussion. I had them, but this was a high ankle sprain. But when I ran, I didn't really feel it when, when it, it was locking into my boot and I could still play. I mean, I still play now, but I lost a step, right? Like I clearly lost a step and I knew it. So I was done. And to be honest with you, I was kind of upset because, you know, NHL at the very least, I wanted to play overseas. I'm like, I, you know, I was one of the best in the world and now I can't be that. That was my thing. I was really, I was depressed. I put on weight and that's when you phoned and my first, you know, I I was very intrigued by team Canada. I'd heard that there was a world's, there was a guy, Steve Roach the year before, wasn't much made about it, but there was a little article in the bottom of the second page of the paper. And I'm, I was aware there was a world's. And when we got over there, George and everything you're saying, I couldn't believe it. I, in my mind, that competitive part of my life was gone. And all of a sudden we get over to Switzerland and there's these great teams. Um, the first two that I noticed obviously were the Slovaks and the Czechs and, and each game is uh, close to sold out. It's a tournament that goes on for more than a, a better part of a week. And we left early. It's, you know, so you get a chance to bond together. And if people think this is a joke, I'll never forget this. And I never, I know people, I go to these things and people have these memories and, and you know, I'm, you know me, I'll get on stage, I'll dance on the table, but never till the end, at the very beginning and at the very end, because, George, you told me that first tournament, water, 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 water. You 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 knew how to deal with everybody personally. You know, you, you really had a good feel with the players, and that was it. And I remember, as good as Alex Burroughs and those guys, you told them, and, you're, you know, and those guys were just getting started. Alex was in the coast. I, I was used to playing pro. I figured, you know, like hockey, you go out for a beer and you're like, no. And we went out for a couple the first night and you put your foot down. And then from that point on, man, and seeing everything, I became, I remember just after that tournament and people think I just became a ball hockey player overnight. I was on the fourth line looking back. I think you had your eyes on me for the future. And I so appreciated it. The tournament ended. I remember being, it was the happiest feeling I'd had. Not only that I'd won a world championship with Canada two months before, I think I'm never going to skate again or play anything of significance. Now I'm lifting the world championship trophy in Europe with a bunch of people that had ended up being friends my whole life. George, I can't thank you enough. And uh, 
Well, TR, you got to remember the era I came from. I recognize that you were a, a character, an important character. Like in the era that I grew up, you had the, your Johnny Pie McKenzie's. You had these guys that had a personality. And I knew uh, you were a great player in close. You had a great offensive skill set and natural ability. And I, I knew that I was looking at you for the future. If this guy could get in shape, if this can be a great learning experience, I'm going to take him. He's going to be good for my team. And the guys loved you. That was a very close-knit team. And, you know, ball hockey is not like ice hockey. You can't go out and drink beers. If you want to be a top ball hockey player, you have to drink water. You have to watch what you eat. The game does not allow you to coast. And, you know, TR, the first time I saw you, uh, I, and really talked to you was in the airport. And yeah. what I loved about you is you came right up to me, shook my hand. You were holding a Beatles book. And yeah, I said, anthology. This, I remember yeah, that huge one. Yeah. It was and like I a go, foot, this, yeah, two feet long. <laughs> right. I go, this guy is, uh, you know, an intellectual. Uh, he's He's got character. Let's just let him be, right? And I think... That was my skill as a coach. I didn't overcoach. I undercoached. I let you guys feel like you were, you had a game plan. And as long as you were together and you, we, you know, I played four lines. Uh, you know, I, I told you guys that we had to stay out of the box. Every year we won, we were the least penalized team. Yeah. I didn't do that. You guys did it. And you know what? We were dominating. We, we were, were dominating. Dead. By the way, we were the least penalized while being a very physical team. And that, yes. that is hard to do. And if not to cut you off, you keep going. But in 2010, learning from you, George, that's what I stressed on our team in Newfoundland. And that's exactly how we played it. We, we didn't take a lot of penalties and we played super physical. And if you can do that and stay out of the box, that oh, really. And that's true, George, because in ball hockey, for those that don't know, the floating blue line, right? You can take the ball over the blue line, but then you got the whole offensive zone. It, it, the offensive zone becomes half the rink. So power plays are much more deadly if you have a good one. So you want to well, stay the hell out of the box. Anyway, keep and you said it, Terry, uh, every step in ball hockey counts. So it teaches you how to shield the ball. It teaches you how not to get in bad defensive position. Because if you take a step in the wrong position, you're not going to get back in. So you take that education at the highest level and then you apply it to your ice hockey like Alexander did. Yeah. Uh, you know, Alex was, was a, a provincial soccer player, good ice hockey player, fantastic ball hockey player. But all those skills, uh, like of shielding the ball, when he played with the Sedins, it was like I was watching a guy I watched in 2003 when he was wearing the goalmaker shirt, you know, uh, in Sierra, you remember they, totally. they had the top scorers wear a different kind of shirt. I and, do remember that. you know, it was the same thing. And, you know, Sierra was an amazing tournament, Terry. Remember Caroline Plant, Miss Plant. Never forget Jacques it. Plant. I'll never forget it sitting in the stands, George. Never. It's in my mind now like it happened last night before I went to bed. Keep going. Well, you had a chance to, to, to <laughs> talk to her. And, you know, I, I knew that uh, Jacques was in. Uh, buried in Sierra and we contacted her and she was there and she loved our team. She came to eat with us. She actually sent me a memento and could, 
continued to talk to me, but she was this passionate lady. And I remember we were in the Czech final against the Czech. She said, beat them. Canada must beat them. I said, Miss Plant, the boys are going to do it. And uh, what an experience meeting her and uh, fantastic, man. I don't know, Terry, you got to talk to her too. So I that must sat, have been something. I sat and talked with her, George, for one of the entire games for the Switzerland. There was a Switzerland game and, and you know, Switzerland are okay. Like they're, yeah. they're not a total pushover. Like they do have, you know, it's just like ice hockey. Like if you sleep, they might be scoring. So they, but they had all kinds of people because it was in Switzerland. So it was packed and I'm sitting there. I had no idea Jacques Plant. I had no idea that he had any connection to Switzerland of all places, let alone his wife was there sitting in the stand. So anyway, we had a great chat. Uh, it's one of my favorite hockey memories because it was so unexpected. And George, I got to be honest, when I went over there, I didn't know what to expect. I mean, so I was kind <laughs> well, of, well, well, there wasn't the globalization you... of the internet like there is now when it comes to ball. No. I just go on a site. So I didn't know. I'm going over there. I'm like, are we going to be playing? And I knew it was going to be in a gym. I, I knew the rules of ball hockey that we were playing on a rink. Other than that, no clue. I didn't even know we were going to get the swag. We got track suits, about 17 golf shirts, pants. I got stuff in there I still wear from that tournament that looks half new. Well, <laughs> I'll tell you, Terry, if you remember that Switzerland game, you're tied in there too. And uh, uh, Ray Kalari, who was yeah. our teammate, and is not, he, he's a scout for the San Francisco Giants. He's got two World Series rings. He showed a, me a couple of years yeah. ago. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Ray reminded me that that morning, I woke you guys up at six o'clock in the morning because what happened is I got up at 530 and Paulo Musto, who was a great player, his dad, who's now passed, was was awake. And he goes, uh, Coach, did you see what the star player of Switzerland, Casanova, said about you guys? He said, Canada, I can't read French, unfortunately, but he, he said Canada can be beat. Well, that just I go, this is an opportunity. Plus, I knew some of you guys, some of you bastards were out at the lake yeah. the night before. So I I went and banged on all your doors yeah. and got you up and got you all fired up. Uh, and I think I had Paulo read uh, the, the, the story and translate it. And you guys were pumped up. I think we pumped a mate one that night. But conversely, on that day, we were watching Anaheim uh, in New Jersey and did not Don Cherry, as all of us are there, talk about you right then. Talk about hockey pixie dust, Terry. It's incredible, George. It's incredible. It was it, it, it. This is when it was, if you can believe it. It was the finals. It was actually, um, I believe, wasn't it Ray Bork when he won it? Uh, no, I believe uh, maybe, maybe I, I'm, I was, uh, for some reason I had Anaheim in my mind, okay, but it was but, 2003, right? Okay, we so were it, playing. it might've been, but when we went back to the, to the, it was so overwhelming. You'd think I'd remember, but what I remember is Don Cherry talking. So we had this TV, remember, and we we're trying to get the reception. And we we're trying to get the game on back at the, and I didn't even read, I had no, none of us had any idea that John Cherry was going to say anything about me. So we're watching it and you know, it's, you know, it's loud, too, because we're at this tournament and everybody's getting to know each other. And, it's you know, it's a cool feeling. And all of a sudden, Coach's Corner comes on and he says, before anything else, <laughs> I just want to say to my buddy, Terry Ryan, you know, I know him. I wouldn't say buddy. I, I'm, I'm flattered that he said that. But I'm watching it going, no, I had no idea he was going to say it. He says, who's over now in Sierra playing in the world championships? And 
you know, uh, hurt his ankle playing uh, ice hockey, whatever it was in Orlando or in Dallas. And good luck in the future and good luck at the Worlds. I, I just couldn't believe that that happened. <laughs> and we well, happened to be watching it all the way in, in Sierra, Switzerland, in a hotel room. Well, and if you remember, Terry, that tournament, they had us go through the city in a parade. They had a carnival tent set up. I remember the guys, uh, uh, Morello, our captain, goes, George, Terry's up on the stage with his Canada underwear. I go, ah, let him be, right? But, you know, like, there was there was George. a lot of fun. It was an experience, man. And, and the day you guys beat the Czech Republic, that was a, a very intense match. Uh, and it's a great story. I knew uh, they wanted our dressing room. But we had finished first. So I went to the rink four hours early. I had done my pregame with you guys. And uh, uh, you guys would walk to the rink. But they tried to steal our dressing room. And I was the only one there. And I just pointed at them. And I said, get the fuck over there. Don't come to our dressing room. Because Joe had had it set up, right? But that game, you guys won 6-1. And the ambassador of Canada to Switzerland, who was a French gentleman who grew up in Montreal watching the Maurice Richard, uh, you know, Henri Richard Canadians came in our dressing room after. And he said, and I remember this, he said, gentlemen, this is the most impressive display of hockey skill I have ever seen. And you know what, Terry, that meant a lot to me for you guys. Because you guys brought it that game. You brought it. Um, George, here's the thing as well. I played locally and I could play my style and get away with certain things. When I have got there, <laughs> I'm telling you, you saw it, I know. But a lot of people around here just think that when it started, I just went over in the same capacity I did a few years later. I was so impressed by guys I'd never heard of, like Biagio, like like the, the guys that Alex played with, uh, Benoit, right, and Fontaine, Ian Fontaine. Yeah, yeah. Well, Benoit, I, Gilbert, Ian I, Fontaine. I couldn't believe it, George. I couldn't take a one-timer. I mean it, and I wouldn't put myself in that position. I'd go in front of the net. I'd carry it. I'd dump it in. I Within my limits, I really hid my my weaknesses, and I had to work on those things over the years and became a power play guy and stuff. But I swear to you, I was – um, just like the ambassador, blown away. I was out there saying, I have no idea how I'm going to play with this guy, these guys. Now, meanwhile, I'm looking at one of the best five ever or, or 10 or 15, whatever. But I mean, when those three were on and, you know, Chicky, I can't remember who else we had back there. Um, oh, we, we, had, we had Tommy uh, Christopher, G- but, you know. General McCarthy. Uh, you yes, know, Paul General Roy. Dougie McCarthy. <laughs> yes. You know. What a great memory. Uh, par, par Sidhu, uh, that was a fantastic defense. Paulo, oh, I actually moved Paulo Musto back on defense to get the ball up because the Czechs were so, uh, they were so scared of us. They were playing the trap. So we actually formulated a game plan where I get the speedy guys and we were, we were turning the ball up before they could set up the trap and we just dismantled them. We did. And they were great guys for me to learn from because uh, I'm telling you, George, I I remember more than anything, like I remember big goals over the years and things, but I remember my first few shifts in that tournament. It felt like, like outside of the, 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 the the TV cameras and stuff. It it felt like 
my first shift in the NHL, like, I'm like, oh, okay, like, this is how it is. This is fast. Okay. Took, takes you like three or four shifts to go, okay, like, okay, I got to adjust. I can play, but let's start thinking a little bit ahead here. It was like that. I couldn't believe how fast the ball was moving. I couldn't believe, for, rarely did anybody take it and try to like just lug it, you know, on a power play, say, think Connor McDavid when he goes back and picks it up. And then, you know, right. you'll get it, you'll get it when we get into the offensive zone, right? Not, not at all in ball hockey. There was, in, so for me, I was as much learning the positioning, you know, because even on breakouts and then, you know, you, you've got to have a guy, like you said, if, if you lose a step, especially at the Worlds with these guys, it's in. Uh, I, well, I learned that Italy's not bad. Remember that? Like we, we were, yep. I said, oh God, like, you know, in ice hockey, I would think it's point night, but no, they gave us a bit of a surprise in the first half of the game, I remember. And, you know, years later, but um, yeah, that was a real eye opener. So, you know, going back to that, that, that was one of the most, the, the best hockey memories of, of my life. Well, and you know what, Tira, I got to give you credit because after that, I started, I was actually running camps across Canada and uh, giving guys a chance. I felt very passionate to give whoever thought they, so I, I think I ran somewhere in between 10 to 12 camps, saw about 500 players and giving them a chance. And I would bring that money back to cut down the cost because we didn't have funding. Right. So I, w- I would make the money to help you guys out, but, I must have done about 500 Liege shuttle tests. And on my records, there's only four or five guys that reached the end. And you got yourself in such great shape that you hit level 20, which so impressed me. Uh, And like it was just showed, I knew you were a competitor and I knew you wanted to succeed. And this is the kind of stuff I wish I got you five years earlier because I, I know the sport would have made the same difference it made for Alex that it would have for you. I appreciate that. And George, exactly. So coming off that time, I mean, most of my coaches, you know, I, I go out and I want to be, I want to maximize my potential. Right. And, and most of them accepted me and, and not only that work with me well, and, and we're always at the very least positive, whether they were a good or a bad coach, I got along with them because I'm not hard to get along with, but I'm different. So when I went to, you know, everybody's different, but whatever way you look at it, but you know what I'm saying? Like your words, your words, you said you're a bit of a renegade, but people don't understand that you're here to work. So I went in, in Fredericton. It was, I loved Montreal. My bad experience there was Michelle Terrian, and it was based on negativity and old school. And look, I'm not whatever he thought was right at the time. I'm sure he wasn't trying to lose, but the way he handled me, I wanted to quit hockey. I didn't like it. I, and, you know, I'm sure some of it was judgmental. I come in with blue hair after going to a Metallica concert or something, right? I mean, I'd push his buttons too, but I wasn't trying to. I'd just be like, you know, I'm just being me. I'm here on time. What's going on? I'm, I'm working hard. Like, you know, I didn't miss curfew. So, but there was always this push and a pull. And when I got there, yeah, it didn't take you long. I don't remember when. It was at that tournament. And you said, you're, you're, you're a bit of, you're a throwback. You said, you're a renegade, but I don't want you to take advantage of this situation. But if you work hard and you show... You, you know, there's there's no reason that you can't have a huge future in the game. And I took that serious to that point. Even now, ask anybody. I don't, I'm drinking waters all tournament, waiting for the end. What a time we have. Um, I, I looked 
I believe that that was in 2003 when you said that. And I was, I thought my hockey career was over. I was on my way to putting on all kinds of weight and tripping over my bottom lip. I was about 230 odd when I went to that tournament, put it in perspective, I'm 195, 200 now. So, and I haven't, I haven't, once I lost that, well, I went back home after the tournament, George. And I said to my parents, I remember in my buddies, I'm like, I'm a ball hockey player now and that's it. I'm on a world level and I'm going to make myself the best I can possibly be. And I started just, I, you know, cardio was just the biggest thing. And I kept myself fit. But if, if, if people had a soccer game going, I played soccer too growing up. I, I, I enrolled myself into soccer. Uh, I, I got, if there was a basketball game, I'd be doing it. I'd be jogging. I'd be mountain biking, whatever I could do. And I was really curious going into 2005 in that camp. Like, how am I going to do here? And I remember being so proud of that man reaching the end. So the beep test for those that don't know, it's like, a, it's, 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 it's like a fitness Canada thing. Right. And you, you, you have yeah. to run and you, there's say a set of pylons say, I don't know, a hundred or 200 feet away and you get, you, it'll beep and you have to run there and then make it there. Then it'll beep again. Then you have to run back at first. It's a fast walk. It goes up to level 20 by level 13 or 14. You're running. You got to be in good shape or you'll just pass out. So myself, I remember in that year, Sandro Morello, who's a marathon runner yep. and one yep. of the best ever as well. We both made it to the end. I'm not sure if anybody else did, but I remember doing that. George, that was so therapeutic for me. And everybody was so proud of me because again, I'd been on the team that won in 2003, but I had a long way to go and everybody knew that. And now I hadn't seen a lot of people in two years. And so I remember being like down to like 202 going like, okay, let's, let's bring this on. And you really, um, as well as others, but you were the main cog in that wheel, but Tony uh, Nito uh, and playing with the black Knights. And then I took it seriously. And then we all kept in touch and emailed and, you know, for the next decade or so, uh, at least we went at it hard. Well, I'll tell you what, Terry, uh, nobody was more prouder besides myself than your teammates, because you were very well loved. I think all the guys and myself knew like Johnny Pie McKenzie, when the bell would ring, <laughs> TR is going to be there. And I mean, I think in 2005, you got hurt. Uh, you, you were on the team. So that was a hurt. big loss for us because I, I was really looking forward to seeing you do your stuff. We ended up winning in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, but then. Uh, you had to come back and do the camps again. In the final camp, I brought together 60 of the best players. And, uh, you know, uh, you earned your stripes, man. And, uh, you know, besides besides that little episode uh, at the bar there, uh, you know, with that uh, guy, gal, or whatever they were. <laughs> I'll forget that. Oh, okay, so for those who don't know, and the other <laughs> ball hockey, the ball hockey uh, world's, the nationals are every year, but the worlds are every two. So like after 2003, when I say I'm going to get myself in shape, it's almost like the Olympics halfway. Like I, I was doing it for two years down the road and on an international level, I was still playing nationally. Um, but then after that, I got hurt in 2005. I couldn't go to Pittsburgh. I was so upset because I made the team. And then you're like, you know, OK, I'll have to do it in 2007. Right. You're looking at oh, half a decade almost goes by. So you really want to take advantage of your opportunities. So in 2007, we had a. Um, George had a camp. Yeah. The best 60 uh, in Toronto or just outside. And, and then at the end of it, I mean, we all kind of figured, I don't know if you let us know, but at least a few of us, myself, Paolo, there was a few that the writing was on the wall. We were going to make the team. So we all went out and that was, of course, most of you had read my book. That was the night. Um, 
Yeah, I, I just went in and, and uh, we, we ended up, we had a great meal. We went over to a place called the Orbit Room. My buddy Brad Lieb, who's been on this show, uh, Brad, anyway, set me up with a girl who wanted to dance and uh, <laughs> dance we did. And I said, uh, anyway, I invited her. I said, let's just get out of here. I'm half loop because we went for something to eat early. And after a ball hockey tournament, it takes two beers to get me drunk, let alone all the grappa and everything else we were drinking. So I was loop when I got in there. I remember talking to and it was the uh, the baby Leafs were playing and the Leafs. So I had a bunch of them meet me because they're my buddies. And so all of a sudden now in the bar, we got you guys and a lot of, of, of the best ball hockey players in the world, really, that look up to these hockey guys and vice versa. So I was doing a lot of introducing and then Brad says, yeah, this girl wants to dance with you. Big fishnet stockings, big chest on her. <laughs> we started making out. Anyway, I went home and uh, yada, 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 found out it was a man. <laughs> that was the night. So those who don't actually, know, that was the night. Actually, Tony comes to me the next morning and he goes, did you hear what happened with Terry? I go, I don't want to know. But, you know, all I could do is just smile. And I only RTR. But, you know, TR, that leads us before we talk about what's going on in the world of ball hockey around the world. But 2007, you, you go to the camp and we're going to play in Rantigan, Germany. And uh, I put you on a line with Andrew Courtney of Belleville and Biagio Danielli. And we actually had lost a couple of our star players. Our other big line that year was Tromblatt with Ian Fontaine and Joe Dau. Yeah. And uh, your two lines, like that tournament to me, when I visualized what you did down low, and you know, those Czech defensemen were big boys, man. They were. And your, your, your uh, ability to use your body and get down deep, you scored a lot of goals in the crease area. And it was just wonderful to watch you guys play that tournament. It was, I, I wonder how you felt going out every shift, knowing you were on a line like that and what you guys were doing. Well, there was genius putting us together, by the way. Uh, and uh, for me, that was kind of the, when for me I felt I, I was unsure I felt like I was still improving but again four years had gone by since the world stage right I mean I'd, I'd been doing better nationally I've been playing with the Black Knights every summer having some success but A I love that because I remember thinking because Dao there was having a great tournament and I was on my way to have one of my best and to be out there because you know you play against these guys and even though I'd had that one tournament with the guys that in 2003, we just spoke about with the red light who really were, were in the midst of becoming and being one of the best teams ever in sports in Canada. So, you know, to get out there and to be out and to see what makes them tick, right? That really, really, I, I loved being part of it. And it's one thing to be on a team and I'll always say, man, I'll be on whatever team and, and, you know, go and get one shift and be pumped that I won it because it's team first, but it really, for me, it was therapeutic for so many reasons. And, and not only that, just such a great experience because I felt that, you know, I was one of the ones that was going to lead the team here. And I really loved that role looking back. And I was in my prime and, and Dao played so well. And you're right. And for those that don't know, it's so hot out there. And, uh, you know, George <laughs> is right with all the water. I mean, I mean, I was drinking water, 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 like always, always clear piss, getting up five times a night to pee at the sacrifice. I didn't mind because 
of you know getting more sleep. We were, we were prepared. We were we were eating and we were drinking correctly. And and there's no you're not wearing shoulder pads or anything. So when he says they had big D, they really did, and they're cross checking you in front. It ain't easy. And you go to war when you go out there. And people who don't watch and don't give it credit, I think don't realize how hard it is out there and in front of the net in ball hockey at the worlds i've often said is one of the hardest things there is to do because there's so many easy ways for the d to be physical on you right so uh sure i I do they didn't like us they didn't like us we didn't like them no and uh it was hate you know it, it it's easy i didn't have to motivate you guys too much you guys were motivated to beat them and uh we did uh, Not only five that, five nothing in the final. Five nothing in the final. I was pumped, George, and I remember you giving me a big hug at the end because I was a little bit—I don't know—I've never talked about it with you, but it seemed to me like I was a, a bit of a project, you know. Like I, I remember, kind of really being happy that you know I did my job for the people that had faith in me all these years, and and you were one of them. But afterwards, I remember. We had some time at the beginning of this particular tournament. What a great team we had because I got robbed the first day. Me and two other players, uh, the windows were left open. Something happened. I, I don't yeah. really remember, but everybody yeah, I remember that. Yeah, everybody chipped in and gave me 100 euros, I think. So, so I had like over a thousand euros to finish the tournament with it was awesome. And we were at the end and we had a few days left. And I didn't, yep. you know, I didn't really look at a map. And you were I mean, I knew generally where where, where the countries in Europe are. But you, you said in a few more, you're like, where should we go? And then I looked down. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Amsterdam's right there. Like, <laughs> what do you mean? Why are we talking about going anywhere else? And well, well, it's funny come. about that. First of all, uh, I, I love our, our dressing room celebrations after we won. Like just seeing the guys go crazy in the room. I, you could see how much everybody uh, cared about each other. But I remember we decided, we said, if we win, we'd go to Amsterdam for two days and we're driving. It was about an hour drive and I'm on the speaker and I go, no curfew. Uh, I just don't want to come to the police station. Just behave yourselves. We park in front of the hotel and the first guy out of the bus is you and you're running straight across the bridge to a certain area. <laughs> right the, guys, <laughs> so, the guys are just laughing their heads off. Man. So, <laughs> so, I, didn't, yeah. I didn't see guys for two days there. <laughs> two days. And I'll tell you how this started. So we went out and we bought some, like you could buy the full ready joints. I mean, um, I guess the last couple of years in Canada is similar, but you you could go out and buy these cannons. I'm like, I don't want to be rolling or anything. I'm bad at that anyway. Me and a guy from Kamloops, Scott. Oh man, um, was it was it Scott? Oh no, uh, uh, it was a guy from Edmonton, blonde haired guy, Mark Miskew, Sean Miskew. Oh. Okay, okay. <laughs> yes. So we go out. Um, we go out and we're we're walking around Amsterdam and we're, we're stoned. Like, you know, this is, I might have a bit of weed at home, but I, my, I never really smoke a, a full joint myself, but we're like, Hey, when in Rome kind of thing, when in Amsterdam. So, and then we're, we're out of it. So we keep coming, we keep coming to this church and I'm like, man, go the other way. So we keep coming to it. And I'm like, man, we're going in circles. And Sean's like, no. And Mark, they're, they're like, no, we're, we, we're going straight. There's no way unless we're really fucked up. I said, well, we are really fucked up. So we stopped in and I said, I got to, I got to, 
sober up a bit here. So we ordered some food. And so the, the wait, the waiter comes over and he says, you know, the way these streets go wherever we were, he goes, it's, it's like a cross. So at the end of each point, there's a church. So he said, you guys are turning around and going the other way. It's just that you keep running into a church that looks like the other. <laughs> I'm like, oh, man. I said, well, good thing now I got this cake in me. And he goes, dude. I hate to tell you this, but you're going to be even worse in about 20 minutes. That's that whole piece of cake is all hash cake. <laughs> I went, oh, man. So we went on this trip for the next four or five hours. I mean, having a good time, but almost too far gone kind of thing. And we were like, there's no rules. There's no curfew. So we just made our way around. So maybe about four or five. This is your interview. I love how I'm telling this story, but I don't yeah, know. It's OK. So we have it's a few okay. beers and uh, we, we meet this Australian girls soccer team. Right. And they're touring. Oh, around. boy. So this is about, say, five, four or five hours before the bus. And I honestly, all I did was see the inside of my hotel room I, other than leaving my stuff and coming back to get it the next day. And and Sean did that for me It's because I left, I left my stuff on the bed. So anyway, she says to me, she goes, listen, I'm gay and my teammates don't know it. So she said, you seem like the leader of this group, like, you know, whatever party group we had going on i mean i was telling stories you know i can be obnoxious and loud but we were having fun we had the world championship trophy with us what a t what a place to be when you're winning like i mean vegas you know same sort of thing but um so she looks over and she said i want to be with that woman in the window but she said if i go over there the girls are going to know she goes if you go over there with me you're going to seem like you know <laughs> just the, the the coolest guy to your teammates and they're going to think you know I'm going over there to be with you. But she goes, once we get in there, you can do whatever you want with me. And, and if it's OK with that girl. But she said, I just need to get inside those doors because I want her. And I'm like, well, I looked down. I'm like, I got about four or five hours left. OK, guys, <laughs> sayonara. I'll catch you on the rebound. But the bus came right to the I just told them where I was. And Sean went back and got my stuff. And the bus drove right outside of the place we were in. And I said, see you later, girls. It was nice meeting you. <laughs> Shook their hands and went on and, and uh, told the story on the plane on the way home. What a time. Wow. Well, and you know, uh, TR, uh, once again, uh, you know, uh, the celebration and how everybody celebrated was warranted. You guys worked so hard. Uh, you, you know, when it came down to the bell ringing, you guys were there. What's unfortunate is, from the hands of Terry Ryan Sr. and Herb Carnegie and the trip all the way there, that's the last team that's ever won for Canada. And, you know, it's hard to believe 14 years later, that great team uh, has not had a Canadian men's team win. Uh, and as a matter of fact, our four uh, worlds in a row is now being tied by the Slovaks, who play a really similar hard yeah. for checking game and they've they've uh, uh done it you know in a lot tighter way uh we had a little bit more offense but they have you know they had uh we had good great goaltending they had uh patrick so um it's hard to believe that canada hasn't won in 14 years not only that not only that george it's the way it happened, like I, I went and saw it with my own eyes because where we would win, like I said, what's your record? 43 and three. It sounds yes. cartoonish. We would come back and people would just assume that we'd go and like roll over, you, you know, like the uh, 
like for years, the, 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 the female hockey in, in this in the 90s, it was either the U.S. or Canada. And it's really starting to expand. There's other teams now on the which is the way it is in ball hockey. But it seemed like we were the steamroller. Now, looking back, more and more credit, I think, has to be given to that bunch because it wasn't that it wasn't that Canada was just because we had more players. We were going to win. People were saying, well, you could send your fourth team and you'd still win. no. Not the case. And we have more to work with now because if anything, George, what I've seen over the years, the thing f- for me here in a, in a microcosm relative kind of problem that you would have had on a world level and on a Canadian level, here my thing was getting people registered. Everybody played street hockey. It was trying to get Marcus Power and Zach O'Brien, I mean, to give you some right. re- relevant re- names now, and the Donahies and, you know, over the years, the Bishops, and it, to get these people registered, because you, you can't play until you're registered. So we had those great teams. We've got more people playing now. It's just that there are other great nations playing. And Slovakia now has four. I mean, the same thing for them. They're in a groove, but they, they've they been put to the test. They've been, got overtime games in the last while. Like, yeah, it, it's not a cakewalk. And you go over there and it blows me away that 2007, because every year we have a chance, we haven't won since. And it's almost no. good good for a while, George, because had we won three or four more in a row, maybe yeah. the interest would have would have leveled off. But I I mean we're due now. Well when I, maybe. When I say we, sorry, sorry. When I say we, I know you're international street and ball and you don't want to be biased. I'm well, we, you know what? Yeah. You know what, Terry? Uh uh that's a good segue into you know, the sport. And it is amazing to me that Canada hasn't won. But you know, look, Finland. Uh, finished in the finals against Slovakia. And let me tell you, a bone-chilling moment. Steel Arena in Kosice, 10,000 people. Okay, the Slovaks beat them, but those Slovak fans started yelling, swell me. And I'm on the floor, and the rink is shaking. And my, like, I'm getting goosebumps as they're serenading these Finnish warriors who gave... Uh, the Slovaks, all they could handle. And I'm going, wow, what a moment. What a, what a lucky moment. And, you know, uh, the sport is growing. Uh, and, uh, you know, I tell, uh, you know, uh, our, our Hockey Canada president, the great Tom Rennie or uh, the IHF uh, General Secretary Horst Lichner or Peter Breeze, they've come to our events, I said. Hawk ball hockey is the vitamin nutrient that's going to keep hockey healthy. I mean, we got, we got, all you got to do is put a stick in somebody's hands and they play Terry and that I've lived it. I've lived it as a player and look at all I've, you know, and I'm just thinking, let's give our youth, our young girls, our young boys a chance because the growth experience you get when you play on the teams that we were a part of, and then you go, to Switzerland, you go to Germany, you go to the Czech Republic, you get to go to Amsterdam. Like these are growth opportunities uh, that you're, that's going to help you in the rest of your life, man. And uh, that's why I'm very passionate about this sport. How did you, George, my last world championships, and I, I don't know where it stands now. We were supposed to go last year when I, now I plan the master's team for those. It's uh for those that uh, don't know, so in two, you won in Bermuda. Whoever yeah. would have thought that Bermuda. So how did how did 
A, Bermuda has a decent team, so I'd like you to inform everybody kind of how that came to be and how the worlds came there and like what are your plans for more expansion? Because a lot of people, when they think hockey, the last thing they think is places like Bermuda. Well, Bermuda was at the 2001 World Championships in Herb Carnegie Arena, and they've been at everyone since. And they actually play in this beautiful rink. It's almost mind-boggling above these beautiful blue waters. And they hold drafts, and they play, and they've been playing ever since. The Cayman Islands, Bahamas, you know, these are all ISBHF members. They're, they're, they're playing. But, you know, for us... Uh, we're we're trying to work with all the hockey important hockey federations to let them know how we think ball hockey can help. But uh, I also took the time, Terry, to go to uh, um, Lausanne and get schooled in GAFE, the General Assembly of International Sports Federations. We want to get the ISBHF in with FIFA and the IHF and FIBA. And there's certain fundamental things that we have to do based on constitutions, democracy, and all that. And, you know, um, we now know what we have to do. And we're setting the table. And, you know, besides the usual countries like uh, Switzerland, Slovakia, Canada, Czech Republic, now the USA, they're benefit. They are giving, donating money to the ISBHF so we can grow the sport. And it's through their generosity that, that we're growing. But, uh, you know, countries like the USA now have a federation. They're growing quickly. Finland, the UK, one of my favorite places, the Scots, Wales, Northern UK, London, they are growing like crazy. We have almost a thousand players in Morocco. It's being run by this great gentleman uh, who who's from Montreal and has Morocco in the IHF, but they have a thousand people playing ball hockey in Morocco. And that'll be our African hub. I've been to Hong Kong and seen ball hockey in Hong Kong. And uh, we got a great partner in China and they're getting it in the schools. So we're building these infrastructures uh, Falkland Islands is building an arena and they're going to be our South America hub. So as I come to my final years as a president, uh, it's important for me to set the platform uh, that I got from here in Northern Toronto, from Mr. Carnegie and your father and the kids around here. And I, I, I want to set the platform so kids around the world can experience and get to meet people like yourself and all the hockey people uh, through hockey and ball hockey is it it doesn't cost much just get a stick go out and play and uh we're really working to get ourselves into gays terry so we can get into uh you know the olympic elevators maybe get in you know uh world street games uh uh youth games olympic uh university games and that's what we're building uh for and uh that's what drives me uh, you know, because I've seen the difference this game makes and, and especially with somebody like you, who I'm proud to call a world champion and part of my world champion family. Yeah, we worked hard. We also had a lot of fun, too. Uh, we certainly did. And that you that would summarize the whole thing. We, we had a lot of fun, but never at the sacrifice of. Um, of putting ourselves ahead of the team 
we we did it. I you know still to this day I go to major ball hockey tournaments every year and uh, outside of the last two obviously. You you go and, and you have a good time. We get to know each other at the start of the tournament. Then during, as you're getting to know each other, you're putting yourself on the line for each other. You're blocking shots for each other. You're taking penalties for each other. You're shutting your mouths for each other. You're sweating. You're bleeding for each other. And then at the end, you know, you just you blow it out and you have a good time. And that's come to be the the, the format of, of most of the winning teams I've played on. And like yourself, I keep in touch with all these people. And when you win together and and just have these experiences together it's it's such a great marriage you know like sports in general and then to make a canadian or a national team wherever you're from to go and to meet the people that you're competing against and and to win and to see the world while you're doing it and honestly you know george from switzerland to to, to germany to italy to to bermuda i have you to thank and a small small amount of other people um for, for those experiences. And, uh, you know, I guess I'll take the time now to really say, George, thank you because you changed my life. I don't know what I would have done. I had a lot of competitive spirit left in me and I still do, but it would have been a shame in my twenties to not put it towards something meaningful. And you helped me do that. Well, TR, it's been an honor. And, uh, thanks to your family. Your mom's always, uh, they're one of my biggest cheerleaders, but thanks to Terry Ryan, senior Buster Harvey, and Ricky Kehoe uh, for getting this young Greek boy uh, inspired so that I can inspire others. Well, that's fantastic. Listen, I got some uh, uh, <clears throat> some questions here. It shouldn't be much longer. Okay. I call them okay. rapid fire randoms. Are you uh, okay. ready to go? Yeah, let's go. Okay, your favorite athlete outside ice hockey or ball hockey? Hank Aaron. Uh, good answer. Yeah, if you had a consistent. Yeah. Consist, consistent. Like if you look at his stats, consistent excellence. That to me is what it's all about. I recently did. Um, I recently did, George, and I'm actually I think I can't believe I'm saying that the home run king for so many years is underrated. But I think he's underrated at this point. I do. I look back. Uh, and, he is. Um, it's great. If, if people don't know, I'm sure you heard the name Hank Aaron. But uh, if you don't. Please look into it, and I'm sure there's a publication out there or a book that you can read and really catch up. He's one of the most interesting athletes of all time for many reasons. Uh, if you had a superpower, what would it be? Uh, heal people to, to, to make them kinder. Wow. A Mother Teresa-type approach. Uh, beautiful. Um, you can take two bobs from the following list. What you've got, you've got a hockey game, a baseball game, and a football game. And you get to take two of these Bobs, Bob Probert, Bobby Smith, Bobby Hull, Bobby Orr, and Bob Sove, the goalie. Hockey game, wow. baseball game, wow. football game, and you can only have two of them on your team. I, I, I would take Bobby Orr and Bobby Hull. Bobby Orr and Bobby Hull. Picking those two for just about anything wouldn't be a bad, uh, wouldn't be a bad no. call. Any reason why? Um, Bobby Orr was, uh, unbelievable to watch the way he could control the game. So it kind of, as a young boy, helped me visualize how puck possession was important. And Bobby Hall was what I was talking about, Terry. You got a bit of that. Terry Ryan senior has a, uh, he, he had a personality. He had a, a flair. And I think Canada Canadian hockey players shouldn't lose that flair. I think it's part of who we are. And I think he had an aura about him, man. Um, and he backed it up. You know, it's like when people, 
when I, uh, told me you're coaching Alex Burroughs, you know, he's pretty opinionated. I go and cocky. I go, I don't mind if he's cocky as long as he backs it up. And Alexander well-loved in the dressing room, cocky player, but he backed it up. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to change him. The the guy's a great player. Yeah, I I didn't mind it at all. I heard the same thing, and I just thought, here's a confident athlete, uh, and you know that's what makes him tick, right? Until I just, I, sorry, Terry. I just no, told no. him recently. Go, go I think he's going to be a better coach than he was a player, and that's saying something. Well, you know, the guy learned uh, through, and it, it, there was always. What, what, what? I don't know how to phrase it, but, you know, he was dumb like a fox on the ice outside of the ball hockey. When he was playing, there was always something to it. He got this reputation sometimes as a cheap shot or yeah, sometimes he went over the line, as a lot of people do. It's a hard game not to, especially when you got to bring that to each game, right? Being a bit of a pest. But because yeah. of that, I think he was really underrated. And within the dressing room, people, all these public, they see these antics, but which really wasn't that much if you look at some of what goes on. But within the dressing room, his teammates only ever spoke about him in a positive light. They only ever sung his praises, um, which, you know, you probably wouldn't be able to say about a Sean Avery or somebody. I don't want to start picking on people, but you know what I mean? Well, like Alex, yeah, never Alex really, was a great guy. Yeah, great guy. Never did I ever hear anybody say he was a bad teammate. So being a good coach, I think, is the next step. Terry, I don't know if you remember uh, when we were in Sierra, I actually named the captains and the assistants. Of course, Sandro and Chicky were our co-captains. But when we named Alex assistant captain, he came up and he was ball. It meant yeah. a lot to him to represent Canada. And you know what? The guy was unbelievable. Unbelievable ball hockey player. Incredible, George. He was one of those like... It, it was it was next level. It really was a treat to watch him play the things that he could do. And it, I, I, you know, for those that don't know, I won't harp on this, but it, it's harder to be like to make individual moves. At least I find like it's a lot of it's a lot of ball shielding and a lot of yeah. peripheral vision and making that pass and getting in the right spot and making a quick shot. Alex is one of the very, very few that could like go into a crowd and come out with the ball. It, it was amazing watching him work um, your favorite jersey ever in any sport. Ah, favorite uh, New York Rangers. Would you rather score a big goal for Greece in in a big tournament, like say the Euro Cup, World Cup? I mean, there's. I just looked. I, I don't think they're even in the Euro Cup, which surprised. No, they're me. not. No. Uh, would you rather score a big goal for Greece on a world football slash soccer level? Would you uh, or sing a song or shred a guitar on stage with your favorite artist, or be in a film alongside Robert De Niro? <laughs> Uh, well, I, if I'm going to score a goal, I want it to be for Canada. So let's, let's leave it like that. Oh, beautiful. Okay. That's a fantastic answer. Uh, and I've never really gotten into that with you cause I know you're a proud Greek, but you are Canadian. Uh, you have Greek heritage. Uh, you have to give up one of the following Greek food, ball hockey, Live sports in Toronto or Greek drinks? <laughs> Probably Greek drinks. Yeah, you can get by with as as I wrote as I was saying that I'm like you know that's the obvious one. It's hard to give up any of the others. 
Uh, and I know you're not giving up ball hockey. That shouldn't even have been on the list. I'm still playing, Terry. Yeah, you're still playing, let alone being around it and scouting and coaching and leading. You're still playing. Uh, Mary had a little lamb. What did George have when you were growing up? Did you have any prized possession? Yeah, my my Hespler hockey stick. Your Hespler. Are you a Hespler guy? <laughs> well, right I was. I was, Terry. Wow. I guess. <laughs> yeah. uh, the timing went back. Even that's kind of gone because a one piece comes out and people just kind of grab whatever. But back in the day, you were kind of married to, you know, you, if I liked the stick I, I, yeah. you know, for years, I would be a coho guy. It took took a lot to change me over to the Canadian fo- or the Sherwood 5030. I remember kind of changing, but you would always go with your brand, right? That's kind of lost a little bit now. Yeah. Uh, would you go into space if given the opportunity? Uh, good question. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think so. I like it down. I like it with my feet on the earth. Humble pie. Good, good stuff. I mean, I want to, but I don't think I could. Yeah, I mean, if <laughs> six feet ladder freaks me out, right? Um, yeah, I'm the same. Pink Floyd or Led Zeppelin? Uh, Led Zeppelin. But my favorite group was the Cars. Oh, wow. I love first the Cars. Album. Yeah, I'm going to send you. Um, oh, God, uh, my God, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing a Rick Ocasek passed away a couple of years ago. Yeah, well, both their singers, Benny Orr's passed He's, away, too. OK, didn't realize that. And in about 2011 yeah. or 12, they had an album come out called Move This or Move Like This. And it is deadly, but it went nowhere because the cars are older and that music's kind of what. But I love it. And it's as good as anything they ever had out. I'm going to send it to you after this. Now, speaking of music, I always end the um, the interview with uh, some song lyrics or, lyrics, or at least I try to. And uh, I'll, I'm going to give you some lyrics and I'll tell you why. A very good friend of mine told me something the other day. I'd like to pass it on to you because I believe what's said to be true. He said, we're here for a good time, not a long time. So have a good time. The sun can't shine every day. That's by a Canadian band called Trooper. Trooper. I say it, George. The reason I say it is because um, you refer to it like that at every tournament. And I've been um, with you when you're at a tournament to scout, to coach, to to be there on a, as president of the international committee. Uh, and you've, you know, you, before me meeting you, you know, you played all these tournaments as a player and you always refer to something like that. We're here for a good, uh, good time. Not a long time. You know, it's, it, you know, TR, we're only around each other for so long. So let's make the most of it. You always have some kind of a message, but that actual song, when we won it in 2018, uh, being Team Canada Masters, and we went, remember we all went out to the bar after, and yeah, you, know, you can kind of hang out with us then. Again, it's not like yep. we're referring to George during these tournaments because again, now he's no. the international leader. But yeah, you, we all get together at the end, and we were on the dance floor. Myself and Pedro is nice to Pete Cabral, you know, to, to win with him. I've known him a long time, and, and Johnny Bish, Jarvis, Johnny Jarvis, yes, uh, Jeremy <laughs> Bishop, on a world yeah. level. You know, I love when he has a good time because he's missed a lot of tournaments over the years. And uh, it was just so great. And, and you looked at me and this song started. I don't know if someone must have requested it. We're in Bermuda. <laughs> it just like and on a random day in September after just having won 
and you looked over and I said, George, like, how about the rink we played on everything? And you just said, TR, and this song came on. We're here for a good time, not a long time, <laughs> buddy. And we high five. We're on the dance floor with our drinks. And I was like, wow, man, what a life. So yeah. I, that's the song I'm leaving with you with outside of Thank You by Dido. But <laughs> thank you. Well, and George. TR. I, <laughs> oh, Keep doing the great things. Say hi to your family and thanks for taking the time to talk about the great sport of ball hockey, the vitamin of hockey. Thank you very much. Is there anything else you want to add before you go? Did, did I miss that you need to touch no, on or you want to touch on? No, TR. Uh, uh, thank you and keep doing. I, I I love your your podcast. I I think you have a great style. Um, it's your style, and I I love the way you do it. And I think people feel very comfortable with you. And um, thanks for doing what you do, man. Keep it up, and uh, all the best to you. Thank you, world, and I world hope champ. Now. Uh, yes, world champ. Uh, you too, and um, I hope. Now that everything's, I had such a great feeling because it's spring and, you know, we're getting back to normalcy and a lot of the negativity's over uh, with respect to those who, who passed away and, you know, with, with respect to all that. You know, we're coming out of it now and I can't wait to see you. I don't know when it'll be, but I know it'll be fairly soon on the ball hockey on, on some stage somewhere. Hopefully it's the Masters Worlds, but I don't know. But, uh, George, it's been great talking to you today. You're one of my favorite people and definitely – Definitely my favorite coach, and uh, that you that says a lot life. to me, TR. Thank you. Well, you changed my life uh, for the better, and I still owe you for that. And I, uh, we continue to be friends, and I look forward to the experiences that we've yet to experience, my friend. No problem, TR. Thank you. Talk soon. Thanks again. And there you have it, George Gortzos changed my life. He did. God love him. Uh, but we're a great guy and um, has really battled for the ball hockey community over the years, not only Canadians, not only Newfoundlanders, and he really did because I was playing for Montreal for the better part of the 2000s because they had a good team. Newfoundland, I think, used to take it as a bit of a joke, and uh, there were good players, but they could never get enough people to go and really buy into the, all the system. Going to the Nationals and uh, come 2010, it was it. I, I won in 2008 with Montreal Black Knights, you know, in the process, like beating Newfoundland, like nine to two. It always felt a little bit. Um, I felt a bit hypocritical doing that, but, you know, I, 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 I was wanted to have a chance at the Nationals and I wanted to uh, play for Team Canada. And that wasn't happening with the, uh, the Newfoundland teams at the time. But it, that was it in 2009. And he said, okay, now you got your championship with the Black Knights. He said, now I'd like to see you go over there and really help me get Newfoundland to go to, go to the Nationals again as a, as a dangerous team. And uh, Ian Moores, Ian Boiler Moores got on board here as coach. And the guys I mentioned earlier, you know, from Jordan Escott, Chris Sparks, Jeremy Bishop, Pat O'Keefe, Zach O'Brien, Marcus Power, Connor Donnie, Cody Donnie. Right, and Danny Wicks and Alex Powell, and we, we we just all of us, all these guys didn't play ball hockey, right? They're they're some of the best players around. Uh, Andrew Sweetland, God, he's dynamite. Pender, none of these guys played. They played, but they didn't play like in a registered league, and they certainly didn't know much about the way it works on a world level. Now they've all played uh, major international tournaments. So uh, George has not only affected my career and my life in a positive way, and that's putting it really mildly, um, 
but uh, those guys as well. And, uh, you know, I sit here now and I joined uh, George in the Hall of Fame in Canada, the Canadian Ball Hockey Hall of Fame, two years ago when the uh, Nationals were here. And, uh, oh, God, I just I wouldn't even have, it wouldn't even have been on the radar had he not pointed me in that direction, not on an international level anyway. And, uh, you know, you have faith in somebody. I was coming off of a bad time. People talk about mental health issues. Lord knows they were circumstantial, but they were brought on at the time, big time. I was dealing with a lot from divorce at the time to losing my career, blowing a lot of money. I just, I, I just didn't know much about how to set myself up financially. And uh, it was always weighing on me, you know, my last experience in sports on this international level is going to be, you know, this hockey career that kind of never really took off for, for a lot of reasons that were out of my hands and uh, a lot that were. And anyway, ball hockey just rejuvenated me and, and got me really involved. And, and, you know, lo and behold, I still play both ice hockey and ball hockey. And uh, again, it's because of the positive mindset that George as well as others, he was definitely the main force, but Tony Nito wasn't far behind. So thanks to you too, buddy, and all my great teammates along the way. I said I'd talk about the playoffs, and um, as far as the Habs go, I yes, I thought Vegas would beat them, but I don't know. They could have won the game the other night. Again, I saw about half the game. I think it's a you got to figure out ways to, to get people in the Bell Center. This is ridiculous. I don't know, man. If there's 20,000 people that have the vaccine, let them in. Come on. For a while, I'm not trying to be a, a, a total nut either. You know, don't wear your mask. And, you know, this is bullshit. It's a government conspiracy. That's the best one I hear people say. Oh, you know, the government, it's conspiracy. They, they all want you to follow. Them. Man, do you think every leader all over the world just gets in and then all of a sudden they all get together and say, we want to control these people? I do think... You know, there's uh, what's the word at times people overreact, but there was a major disease. I mean, I've had people I know Terry Walsh, bless his soul, just a month ago, healthy guy in his 40s. Right. I mean, I'm sure he wouldn't have died of the flu. People compare them. It's not the same. Now, do I think at times we overreact? Yes, I do. Like now. Come on. Once we got the vaccine, now it becomes a choice. I say that here. I mean, I'm no doctor. I listen to. Really, I've tried to be a compassionate person, but I want to know now myself. I get the, the travel bans. I get all of it. I get the mask. I get why we stayed in. I understand all of it. Of course, you could tighten that up a little bit, but everybody got caught off guard. Everybody. I mean, this hasn't happened in my lifetime. It hasn't happened in my parents' lifetime. When my grandfather, what was he born? Like 1923. It didn't even happen in his lifetime. The Spanish flu is the last time anything like this happened. With technology was that we know now of, it was but a fetus. My great-grandfather, great-great-grandfather, I guess they experienced it, but you know, no one knows how to deal with that now. You know, you, you, now we know. You, you, I'm sure they had an idea, but until you're hit with that problem and you don't want people to die, and every day, uh, you know, these government officials, the way I see it, were put in a very hard position. Like I said, I, I, I feel for my Republican friends. I've at times in my life, I'm in the center. 
I don't think I'm I'm not far left or far right. Do I think the election was stolen? No, I don't. I think Donald Trump, that whole thing got to fucking go. This QAnon and everything, that's dangerous. But do I think the Republicans have a good, solid point of view and platform? I think, yeah, a lot of them do, whether it's military or or economy or, or, or anything overseas. You know, there's John McCain, right? I'd have voted for that guy. So not to make it political, but what I'm saying is that, like, Trump didn't he was just trying to protect himself. He didn't know how to fucking deal with anything. Biden comes in. Now you think Biden just takes over and there's this conspiracy that they're going to I mean, clearly the two don't get along to put it mildly, right? Trump doesn't respect anybody that's not named Trump, but still the pandemic was out of any, in my mind, political agenda. There was now, could it have been those that follow it deeply? So, you know, maybe in a Wuhan, it wasn't in that open market. Maybe it was in the, uh, international uh what is it the uh, laboratory maybe I mean, i don't know how it got started i don't think that's that outlandish but however it fucking did you know it's not billions of people around the world's fault it's not all these governments fault and if it did happen in that laboratory in wuhan isn't that international so i mean as much as we want to blame china or blame whoever i mean in my mind, whatever. And if there is somebody to blame, it's a pretty fucking big deal and you should be pissed off. But we don't really know yet. And even if we do, focusing on the negative isn't going to get us anywhere. Right. As far as I see, most people, most people, I mean, even when Trump was in, they're trying to save their ass. But there are people working for them that, that don't want people to die. They want people to live. Right. And I you know, people that think it's this big conspiracy. What do you think? Really? The international... The, what is it called? Um, United Nations. They can't even get along, right? You think all of a sudden these these countries that are at war just put everything together, get in the back room and go, you know what would work if we get this disease started, right? We pass it around. You know, just enough people are going to die. We're going to figure this out. And then, you know, everybody else is going to conform. Let's keep them in line. You think every leader all over the world did that? It's just st- stupid. In my mind, it's like saying flat earth, Right. Now, did someone fuck up? Probably. Now, and are there measures that are over the top? Definitely. It's a fucking chaotic disaster in some places. I mean, last summer we're here, I mean, relatively, on a world level, relative level, we we got hit rather mildly. But, you know, on one street, we, we canceled the regatta, the oldest sporting event in all of North America. We canceled it. Couldn't even have 20 people down there watching. Couldn't have boats out there with no fans competing. Hundred Over 150 years this has gone on. The oldest running sporting event in North America. And we shut it down. Yet, yet we had a pedestrian walk on Duckworth Street or Water Street last year. And it was a zoo. It was the regatta every single day. But I don't think that's anybody's fault. Like, no one knows what to do. The cases weren't going up, so they let they left the the uh, street open, right? People are out having a good time. You look down south. As soon as fans can get into a building, they're going to do it, man. People are sick of this. Um, and now that we, in my mind, look, I got it all along. Take your take your precautionary measures. But once people are vaccinated, what I, those who aren't, especially if it's optional. Well, if it's optional, it's no different than the measles, measles or polio or something. No, or am I wrong? Maybe I am. You know, maybe someone can message me after this and tell me where I'm wrong. But 
once we all have the vaccination, isn't COVID like the measles where I guess it's out there, right? The only people I know in the last few years, it was a story, I think, in the United States, Western, Northwest United States, maybe. There's been little pockets that, you know, get these anti-vaxxers and things like the measles come up and people die. A few kids die, but I mean, that's no one's fault but their own, right? Not the kids, but the parents that are leading them. I don't want to be callous here, but am I wrong? It's their choice not to get the vaccine. So why can we not have 20,000 people who have the vaccine in Quebec go to a Montreal Canadiens game and give them some support? I mean, Vegas looked bonkers. For I mean, it just it got me pumped up looking. And, and, you know, these fans are going insane. They're supporting their team. Think of some guys. Who is it? The, the defenseman on Montreal, Romanoff. Well, Caulfield, say, right? Cole Caulfield came into the league. A few games left in the regular season. Played pretty well. Um, and uh, a couple over, you know, to overtime goals. He's getting, But he's doing it in front of no fans. Then the playoffs start. Gets his start. He's playing pretty well. They, they have a good round against... Are two good rounds, really good, great, considering what people thought they were the worst team in the playoffs. Right now they're in the semis. But they've done all this in front of basically no fans. A couple games they had, what, 2,500 people? And then they go down into Vegas and face an absolute flurry of, of, of music and, no pun intended with flurry, of music and cheerleaders and uh, accessories and fireworks and smoke and oh, just the jumbotron, man! It's just awesome going to a. Or, or I haven't been to a Vegas game, but watching it. Um, and you know, you come back, and in my mind, you just got to figure out ways to get people in that building. Why well, I brought up Romanoff because I just find he started how many? There got to be a couple of rookies. And then Kutkinyemi came in the year before, so he knows what it's like. But someone who started last year, like Romanoff, he's never played in front of anybody, right? His, his second year in the NHL. I, I, there could be more. You know, I don't have my hockey guide and record book out, but I think Romanoff played his first game at the beginning of last season, which was like June <laughs> or July last year. Just a weird experience. And now, like, you know, almost 100 games into his career, <laughs> he's got to go and see. That's his first experience with fans, that Vegas game. I mean, and he played pretty well. Uh, so for what it's worth, I mean, tonight I think they got a 3,500 people in there, but I'm not trying to be insensitive or anything, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I sound like a very naive person as I say this, but I don't. I don't understand how if – you have your vaccine, if you've, you've had your shots, why you can't get together and go into that rink and give that team some support. Because uh, Lord knows they need it. And uh, I'm one of those that if there's a Canadian team left, I'll cheer for them anyway. I know lots of you aren't. And if you're bitter at the Habs, which, you know, I, I think that goes with it. I don't think everybody can just cheer for anybody. That's why there's so much great fandom in, in all of sports. And in Canada, with the Leafs and the Habs, I get it. You don't want to cheer for them. But because uh, so, I think I said that last week, you know, let's all get on board. I get hit up with so many messages after that, and I totally understand not wanting to get on board if you're a diehard Leafs or, or Flames or, or Boston fan or whoever. That's part of being a fan. But those who are on the fence, you know, maybe, maybe I can suggest just you turn it on and 
and support the team in a small way <laughs> because I think it's exciting. Looking at those guys go out there in the first period the other night and play well. And I think they were up seven or eight shots to one in that zoo that they were playing in, a lot of them for the first time and, and all of them for the first time in a long time. Uh, I thought it was a, a, a very, very courageous effort. And I hope that we can find a way. I mean, we, as in the Canadian government, not really we, I guess, uh, I hope that we can find a way in the Quebec provincial government, they can figure out how they're going to pack that rink. And uh, I bet my bottom dollar that there are all kinds of people that are vaccinated that would love to see the Montreal Canadiens play a playoff game right around now. Um, I think that's it. I think that's it for this week, folks. Um, I've talked enough. I'm going to take my daughter. Now we're going to go play a little bit of soccer. Thank you to George, uh, Wedgwood cafe. You want to hit them up? Go ahead. You want a book? Uh, Tales with TR, Fights, Film, and Folklore. DM or shoot me a message. Uh, email me at terryryan2020 at gmail.com. And uh, for 25 bucks plus shipping, it's usually 5 or 10 depending on where you are, I'll send you out not only a book but a picture, signed picture, a couple of uh, bookmarks, and Penny Posh, of course, Women's Wear Reimagined. Check it out. They got some great hoodies, and uh, we'll give you a deal for... 99 bucks hoodie signed book picture bookmarks there you go tj's patio downtown tj's pub come check us out <laughs> things are in full swing patio season <clears throat> like i said things are opening up and they're feeling uh things are feeling great positive 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 i've been uh, down to tj's now for a year and it's never felt um so encouraging and inspirational just to be out and, and about downtown than it has now. So if you're from St. John's, all I know is that the pedestrian walks on Duckworth street and water street open very soon, I think inside of two weeks. So get out and support local Lord knows they need it. This has been episode 57 featuring George Gortzos, my buddy, my coach and uh, a legend. Uh, in his own right thanks for listening tune in next week I'll catch you on the rebound see you soon folks <laughs>